gather around the lamp and Aston Villa podcast. If at first you don't succeed, come back next year and try again. Aston Villa celebrates the pleasure of promotion to the Premier League. Hello and welcome back to the Gather Around the Lamp podcast by underagaslitlamp.com. As always, I'm Regan Foy. You can find me on Twitter at FindFoy and I'm joined, as always, by Mark. Hey, what's going on, guys? It's Mark here. You can find me on Twitter at VillaMarkPGH. Oh, man, after that Bournemouth game, I'm a little little nervous what's going to happen against Everton, Regan. I wouldn't say I'm overly nervous, but I, I'm not expecting, you know, I'm not expecting, uh, uh, I think, you know, regardless of the, the result, I think the Bournemouth game was quite entertaining. And I think games usually are when you're, um, you know, you're, you're trailing. I think you know for a neutral that game would have been a decent watch. Um, yeah, there's there was actually a couple of, like people that watched the game that have no affiliation for Villa, no care about Villa whatsoever, and watching. They were like, "That was actually a really fun game to watch." And I was like, "Well, yeah, we don't we don't play badly. We play an entertaining brand of football." But yeah, you're right. It, it was it was for the neutral as well. But yeah, it, it wasn't. You know, I don't think we performed badly or anything like that. But I think Everton, I think Everton have got something to prove and. It might come back to bite us if we're we're overly optimistic. So, anyway, let's let's go to the Bournemouth game. So it all started by, well, <laughs> it it all started and it pretty much all ended by the forty first second, <laughs> as um, Tom Heaton gave away a penalty, um, which I think it was Josh King slotted slotted away past him um, to give Bournemouth the one nil lead. And to me, to me, initially when I saw it, I, I didn't think it was a penalty. Um, I thought that Heaton was pulling out of the challenge that he'd attempted to make and that Wilson had already played the ball past Heaton and it was going out for a goal kick when uh, when the trip happened. But lo and behold, it was awarded. And uh, Villa found themselves trailing within a minute. Yeah, you can't start games like that. And, you know, Tom Heaton knows that. He's a consummate professional. He'll be the first one to hold his hands up and say that that was an absolutely cataclysmic cataclysmic mistake. Um, I I don't think that that's going to be something you see from Heaton. I I saw a a very, very small, very small amount of people like, oh, great. You know, you know, he looked great in preseason. Now, you know, he's not going to look great. And, you know, Villa's conceding goals. I'm like, guys, it's the second game. Calm down. Um, But yeah, you can't start a game like that, especially at Villa Park, especially the first Premier League game at Villa Park. It was just absolutely anticlimactic. Like everything, you know, going into the game was okay. You know, we got our lessons against against Spurs. Maybe we can, you know, kind of take some of those lessons and apply them against Bournemouth and see what happens. And, you know, to give away that penalty, I thought it was a penalty at first, like live as it happened. I was like, there's no way that's a pen. But from the replays, some of the footage that I saw while I was watching the game, the, I, to me, that's a penalty, and it's it's just really unfortunate. You know, I think that turned the entire game on its head, and you can't even say the entire game because it wasn't even that long of a of, of a time, to be honest. But um, yeah, that's again, it, it sounds like we're we're talking the same kind of thing against you know Spurs. This isn't going to happen every single game. People have to you know calm down a little bit. Mistakes are going to happen. The team's still gelling. You know, things like that. Think think on the more positive things. Yeah, and you know the early goal. It, it almost took the wind out of uh, Villa's sails, and um, a bit out of the atmosphere at Villa Park as well. You know, I, the, the you know the, the the stadium was behind 
the, the lads for the full 90 pretty much. But, you know, it's going to knock a bit of stuff in out of both the players and the fans to, to go down that early. Um, and then things didn't get any easier when uh, Douglas Luiz left uh, a, a trailing ball from a Trezeguet that it was played laterally across across the Villa half. And, um, yeah, it ended up at Harry Wilson's feet. He, he took a touch and fired it towards goal. Um, something I want to, I want to touch on is uh, is the size of Tyro Mings. Is Tyro Mings's frame becoming an issue for Aston Villa? <laughs> it might be a little bit, but I, I think I'll take that again on the more positive side than the negative side. But you're right; you're start you know seeing him you know get some. I mean, over the course of two games, the, you know, a little bit of deflections coming off Mings and whatnot. Um, back to the, the David Luiz, you know, the um, leaving a ball and it just goes right to Harry Wilson. It was such a such an error. I didn't think Louise looked great for the opening 25 to 30 minutes of the game. As a matter of fact, I thought he played really poor. And yeah, he did end up scoring a goal in, in this specific game against Bournemouth. He wasn't doing much for my money that I would be like, uh, okay. And he has a talent. I'm not trying to slag the guy off in any which means. He still has to, you know, learn the English game and he's still all these new teammates. And I'm sure there's, you know, somewhat of a little bit of a language barrier with a few of his teammates. But I mean, it was just shocking to me to see like, you know, the balls at, at, at Tyra Mink's feet and he's pointing it at Louise, you know, he's pointing at Douglas Louise and then pa- passes the ball to him, his hand's still up. And then he's telling him what spaces to run into. Um, I hope that stops immediately only for the simple fact that it, it, to me, it shows like just a mistrust. Usually that would be Connor Horahan in that slot to pick up that ball and then move it forward. And Connor can do that automatically. He knows where the, you know, the rest of his team it's going to be due to the fact that they have chemistry. Um, Douglas Louise will, will come good. We, we obviously saw what he's capable of with a late arriving man in, into the box. You know, Jack Grealish finds him in space and he basically passes a ball into the back of the net. It, it sounds crazy for how beautiful the goal was, but that was, that was something you see like crosses do, not necessarily shots. Um, so, you know, he will come good. I thought he had a much better second half. But, uh, the, yeah, the first half through about 25, 30, 35 minutes, I, I thought he was just not – and it, he almost looked like he was just really, really nervous. But, I mean, putting myself in that situation, I'd be nervous as hell too. Yeah, I mean, he grew into the game. But really, for for what it's worth, he was probably one of the statistical outliers in terms of uh, performance for Aston Villa. It was, it was one of the positives of the game, um, even without the goal. Um, which, which does say something considering how much possession the, the, the side had. Yeah, and I I think he's he's going to continue to do that. Like statistically, yeah, it, at the end of the game, he he looked very very good. He looked like one of the better performers for Villa. It, it was just that that opening little bit of time, and you know, with the and I'm I'm sure the the goal that or the penalty that Heaton gave up that resulted in a goal that that's going to change a lot of things. Like just the mental psyche, like you talked about, like in the crowd, players on the pitch, like oh we're we're down already, like barely even touched the ball and we're already down. Um, he'll, he'll come good. I mean, it's, I, I, I do think that he's a really, really big talent. I think that, you know, there's a reason why Villa are paying him what they're paying him and why we were after him for so long. Um, yeah, I just, it's one of those, he'll grow into it. Just like every other player on the pitches, they're going to grow into it. They're going to get better. They're going to gel. You're going to have chemistry. The whole, the whole nine yards. I'm, I'm not pressing panic buttons yet. There's, you know, like, like some, some people are, there's, there's no reason for it. Um, there, there's just, there's so much out there. You talk about all these other teams in previous seasons that lost up to like, you know, six, seven games to start off the season and they ended up mid table. So, you know, it's a long grueling season. You know, it, it's, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon and Villa, some Villa supporters are going to have to get that through their heads quick, you know, sooner than later. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it, 
a lot of people are, you know, you'd see it on Facebook, and Villa Facebook isn't the, you know, the the wisest place to to go to, uh, you know, try and form your own opinion. But you you had people asking where you thought that they'd finish, and you'd, you'd see people saying top six or it's a failure, top ten, twelfth, etc., etc. And really, the the key for the key for this season was survival, and it still is. Yeah, for me, if, if Villa end up in 17th, two points out of the relegation zone, and that's how we finish our season, I'll be happy. That's the only thing I care about, staying up. Don't go back down. Stay up. Keep keep this team you've assembled over the summer. That's all I care about. And I wish other people would think that way. I mean, it's one thing to be optimistic about the club you support, and we all want to see Villa do well. No one will ever dispute that, and no one will ever have that argument against me. I want this team, you know, this club, this fan base, this community to, you know, absolutely reach the heights of the heights. It's not going to happen right now. It would take something completely miraculous for that to happen. Um, I do think Villa are a lower end of the table team. Uh, it's just up to them to gel and, and see what they're going to do. You know, like I said, again, it's a long, long season. You don't know what's going to happen, but all this top six, top ten, top ten talk—that's just you. You got to take a day off at some point. Yeah, definitely. Um, something I'd like to I'd like to discuss is um, Philip Billing. The, the the Danish youth international. Um, he he was booked, I think, in the thirty sixth minute against against Villa. Um, but you know he he made three or four pretty uh, rash challenges after that and remained on the pitch. And you know the, it's plain for all to see by the fact that Eddie Howe subbed him off at half time that he shouldn't have been on the pitch going in at the break. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't know what the ref saw or why he was giving billing some treatment that he wasn't um being sent off i i just don't understand that there were there was multiple multiple occasions we're talking four or five instances that could have been given a yellow and then a second yellow and then a third yellow and maybe even a fourth um it, the man had no business being on the pitch and that does sound biased i am going to be a little biased being an aston villa supporter um to me that was that was a shocking display of refereeing based on that decision alone um yeah i i don't know i i just think that it should have happened. I mean, there were, there were fans around me. Like I was sitting in a pub, all my Villa mates, you know, in, in the Pittsburgh Lions club, were all sitting there and there's supporters from other teams, Spurs, Crystal Palace, all kinds of, you know, supporters around us going, why hasn't that guy been sent off yet? What's going on? It, I didn't have an answer for him. I, w- I was, I was just as confused as they were. Um, yeah, I, I think he definitely should have been. Sent- Do you think that he should have been sent off with some of these challenges or you think I'm being a little bit biased? Um, I think, I think the the one on Jack Grealish could have possibly been a, a second yellow, um, but really the, the, it's the it's the uh, accumulation of the challenges that I think deserved a second yellow. You know, by the third or fourth time, it was like right, okay, you've not learnt your lesson, off you go, kind of thing. Um, and obviously, it wasn't the case, and Villa missed out on playing against ten men for well over an hour. Yeah, that would have really helped out. I mean, the way Bournemouth are playing, they're not a bad side. You know, they've been in the Premier League for five consecutive years now. This isn't Bournemouth of 2001, 2002. You know, you're, you're talking about a really stable side, and they know what they're going to do. They have a coach, Eddie Howe, that's been there for a long time. He organizes his team very well. They're very staunch in defense. And I know myself that, you know, I said in the score prediction on the last podcast, I thought it was going to be 3-0. I wasn't accounting for Tom Heaton and, you know, let, let, or, you know, let, <laughs> giving up a penalty in the opening minute. And then, you know, Douglas Louise trying to step, or, you know, leave a pass for somebody and then he gets put in the back of the net. That's football. That's what happens. She, you know, football in itself is not the most predictable sport that's out there. Um, 
so yeah, I, I just I, I just think the Bournemouth games again. It's another lesson, just like the Everton game coming up will be another lesson to learn, and that that that's the way it's going to be for a while. And I, I'm okay with that as long as there's progress and we're starting to see you know the things moving forward on the pitch and, and a little bit of chemistry together. And you're you're going to have to you know, face up to some of these harder decisions, some of these you know things that are out of your control, such as Billing not being sent off when he probably should have been. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. It's like, again, it's, it's a long season. Just, just hold tight, you know, trust in Dean Smith a little bit here. Yeah. I mean, I wrote an article about this, um, a couple of days ago now. Um, and I, I was calling for, for calm basically, like, not that there's, you know, an uproar or anything, but I was basically saying that regardless of where Aston Villa finished this season, whether it's, you know, fifteenth or they're rock bottom and they get less points than they did the last time they were relegated from the the Premier League. I think Dean Smith needs to stay. Um, there's a legacy that's been started to build here that that has started to build here, and you know that you you see legacies at the club like Bournemouth. Hay has been there for for an age now. Dyche uh, has been um, at Burnley for seven years, I think. You know, the, these managers have, have turned their, their respective clubs into, you know, Premier League regulars. And that's what we need right now. We, we don't need to be going into the Europa League or, you know, going on a cup run. We need to cement ourselves as Premier League regulars again. And I think the perfect man for the job for that is, is Dean Smith. Even if we go down this summer, you know, we, I would back him to take us straight back up the season after. I, yeah, I, I agree with you. And I, I think that there's just, there's still that pride from a section of the supporters of, of, of all together. I'm not just talking just in Birmingham. I'm talking about wide, wide, wide world of Aston Villa supporters. There's still that pride of Aston Villa, historical club, big club. Now, we are a big club in terms of support, history, things of that nature. And it, it's it it's not fun for me to say in the modern climate of football in 2019, Villa cannot be considered a big club until they cement themselves as Premier League standard club. And that's what we're working on right now. Everybody wants the results like we were just talking about the top 10, top 12, top six talk. Everybody wants that. Of course, everybody wants that. It's our club. It's what we care about. It's what we love. We, we bleed claret and blue. We want to see this club do the absolute best they can. But in the grand scheme of things, when reality smacks you across the face, we have to st- we have to do exactly what Bournemouth have done: get to the Premier League, stay there for five to seven years, then let's start making a push a little bit. Let's let's resolidify ourselves as Aston Villa. Then, you know, right now we're a club that just got promoted. We have to act accordingly to that. You, you can't you can't be having these big aspirations. You know, you're talking about if, if you would stretch out the alphabet, there's some supporters that want to go from A to R, and they want they want the process to be already at the letter R. We're still at the letter A right now. We're we're about to be three games into our first season back in the Premier League. Just a little bit of patience. Just it's got it's got to be tempered just a little bit. But I, I do agree with you. Dean Smith's the man for the job. It's time for him, you know, to supporters to buy into the fact that he he will be here a long time, barring any type of something absolutely crazy, like we don't have any points by January or something, which isn't gonna happen. Um yeah, but Dean Smith's the man for the job. It's, you just you got to have a little patience. Just temper the expectations just a little bit. Hey, you know, everybody knows that we're we're a huge club. We're we're a massive club, but at the moment, I feel like we're, we're like giants masquerading as minnows. Um, and I think speaking of giants masquerading as minnows, what 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 did you think of Wesley in the Bournemouth game, Mark? 
it's tough for me. He was holding up the ball well, but no one's no one's coming to his aid once he has it. And that that's going to have to be something where those those wide men are going to have to pinch in a little bit when he is getting a ball. You know, okay, so we'll say for instance, just as a you know hypothetical, Tyron Mings pings a ball forward over everybody, hits Wesley in the chest, falls to the ground. He has the ball. The wingers aren't cutting inside to give him any kind of outlet once he has the ball at his feet. You know, he can't do it all on his own. Um, I'm not saying I'm not screaming out for a change of tactics to play two up top by any means. I, I think the system that Dean Smith has in place is going to be his system moving forward for the rest of the campaign. Um, I just think he was isolated a little bit. And I don't know if that's maybe Jack Grealish wanting to do too much. I don't know if it's John McGinn not pushing forward enough. I don't know if it's El Ghazi not, you know, he, he tries to beat a man, up, a man out wide and he wants to cross it from a wide position. Trezeguet, I thought, played really well against Bournemouth, but he he doesn't seem that he only really cuts in when he knows he has the pace to beat that fullback that's standing in front of him. Again, it's totally hypothetical. I just felt that he had no outlet, that Wesley had no outlet once he got the ball. Did, did you feel the same way? Yeah, I mean, something that I noted um, from from the game statistics was that he, he had, uh, I think, 14 passes and nine of which were accurate. And when you're making that many low passes, like such a low number of passes in the, in in a game, um, especially across um, you know the amount of time that Wesley played, um, you know those fourteen passes need to be all reaching an Aston Villa player. You know what I mean? Like if if your output is going to be so low, you need to ensure that the 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 what you're getting out of it is 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 high. Um, so I think it it is a warming up period for for Wesley, and I think I don't think it'll be Everton. It might be Palace, but he he needs just might maybe even Crew, but he just needs something to kind of jolt him jolt him to life, I guess, in the Premier League. Right, right. I agree with you. Like like you're saying, like the passes he's making, it's okay to make the low amount of passes, but they better be quality passes. Is that is that the point you're trying to get across? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm right there with you, and I just I just felt like he was left on an island, and there's not much to do. And you even saw him like trying to get into the I I guess you could say like a little bit into the midfield areas to try and get a little closer to Jack, maybe get a little closer to McGinn. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know. Like that's that's gonna have to come down to Dean Smith and his tactical know how to try and you know advise his wingers that hey, when you see that ball, you know, being played from the back, and you know it's headed towards Wesley, maybe try to keep running. And just try to cut inside, maybe just to give him an outlet. Again, you know the team. The team's trying to to gel and figure this all out. You know, it's 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 tough. The Premier League's tough, and there's no no better way or no you know ex- expert way I can try to try to explain that. But we can't be have if we're gonna play one up top. He can't be left on an island all the time because then that's gonna make other players almost like overplay you know, different passes and overplay different runs onto the ball to try and get it. And you, you get yourself into such trouble doing that with counterattacks. And a lot of the teams in the premier league are starting to mirror that man city, Liverpool, Tottenham's tactic of quick on the counterattack and, you know, all that kind of thing. Villa can't become a victim of that. It's, it's going to be a really, really long, you know, season. So, you know, Wesley does need to kick off, um, you know, his, his previous stats, He's he's got to get one soon. I I would love to see him get one against Everton. I'm just not sure with the way that that defense is set up. Yeah, I think. Yeah, we'll we'll move on to Everton anyway. But the 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 thing that uh, I what I wanted to note is that uh, Lucas Digne is currently uh, suffering with a knock. It's likely that he will start, 
But if he doesn't, then their replacement for him at left back is Leighton Baines, and we all saw how uh, well we did against you know an aging fullback um, against Derby County last season with Ashley Cole. So you know that's something that we could use to our advantage. But obviously, if Digne starts, then it's a completely different story. Right. Yeah, Digne is really good. Um, you know, getting Leighton Baines out there. If he's yeah, he's yeah left fullback. Um, I'll try to get against someone of that age. I, I'll take that all day. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, Everton's next up for Villa. Um, and it's a Friday night football game under the lights at Villa Park. Um, and Everton have had a really, really strong transfer window. Um, you know, they've they've picked up a number of players. Um, I can't remember how he pronounced his name. I think it's Gabamin. Um, they've picked up him. They've picked up Moise Keane. Uh, Fab- Fab- Fabian Delph. I struggle to say his name still. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and then obviously they've got the likes of Richarlison, uh, Gilfie Sigurdsson, um, Bernard, Pickford, Yerry Mina. They've got some real quality in that side. Um, and they, they stayed quite true to their playing style. Um and we, we we saw this in um, in their game against I can't even remember who they played Watford was it? Yeah, they played Watford. Yeah, they, they, we saw this in their game against Watford, um, and th- their style of play involves their wingers quite a lot. And eighty two percent of Everton's attacks um, generally come down uh, the left and right hand sides of the pitch. Um, with only eighteen percent really coming through the middle, and that you know that was shown against Watford, um, and you know that, that that's something that that is key to to their performance. So it's whether it's it well it's not whether it's it's a decision for for Dean Smith to make um, on whether he wants his defensive fullbacks, i.e. Taylor, um, or his more attacking fullbacks, i.e. Target. I, that, and that's the big question this week. There's a lot of people calling for for Frederick Gilbert to get a game against Everton. Um, I don't I don't see why not. I just think that, like you said, 82% of all Everton attacks so far this season have come down the flanks. I want some pace. You know, I just want some pace in my fullbacks to be able to do that. And I'm not saying wholesale changes. You know, with Neil Taylor, you know, and Elmo rotated out, and then you know tar- Target and Gilbert being being brought in. I, I think that's a little too radical, especially for Dean Smith, who's trying to, you know, create something still. Uh, as far far as uh, you know, have, having a, a set defense and you know how how he wants to play it, that still remains to be seen a little bit. But there's a big big shot for for Gilbert, and he, you know, for me, I, I did a little bit of stats on who he'd be going up against. Uh, that's Everton's winger Bernard. He didn't look great against Watford. He had something like a 42 or 43 percent uh, passing success rate on 72 passes. That's not good. There's no two ways about it. That's that's not good at all. So the event that they're you know starting left winger isn't great, and he's not adept at passes. I, w- I would like Gilbert to have the pace to be able to intercept that and take it the other way for a counter attack for Villa. That's just my opinion. I don't think that Dean Smith's actually going to do that. But if I had that job, that's what I would do. I would start Gilbert. I'd want that pace on that side. I'd want to go up against this guy who's coming off an absolutely dreadful game, you know, with passing statistics and try to unsettle him a little bit and make his, you know, make his next week after the Watford game a little bit worse if possible. Um, I think Neil Taylor stays in. He he's hasn't shown a lot moving forward so far through the two games against Spurs and Bournemouth. 
but I do think that he's just defensively and tactically sound. I think that's something that Villa definitely needs and that I think he, he stays in. I don't think we see Matt Target just quite yet. Um, do you think the, the fullbacks need rotated out? And even in the event that they don't, do you think El Mohamedy is going to be able to do it with some, some of that pace of Bernard coming off the left-hand side? I think Elmo is fine. Um, and I think Elmo will probably stay uh, in, in the right-back position for Friday. But the issue for me is Neil Taylor. Um, and it's not to do with his gameplay at all. But he will be going up against Seamus Coleman if he starts. Um, that's Taylor, by the way. Coleman is likely to start because he's Everton's captain. Um, but obviously, 2017, Taylor made a horror tackle um, in a Republic of Ireland versus Wales World Cup qualifier and left uh, Seamus Coleman with a double leg break. Um, obviously, Coleman's now recovered, but, you know... It really affected Neil Taylor and it affected his game as well. And it was visible for us as Villa fans. Um, you know, he was showing out of tackles and stuff like that. Could could we see this happen again if he's coming up like directly against Seamus Coleman on the, on the uh, left-hand side? Yeah, this is, this is one of those weird circumstances. It's not only in football, it's in sports when something absolutely terrible happens on the field of play. And then, you know, there's a, there's some time that passes and then these players have to meet again. Um, I see it more so in the American sports over here in terms of the NFL and the National Hockey League. Um, There's a lot behind this. It's not just, oh, I made a tackle, I broke your leg, I'm sorry. It's the mental constraint that goes into that. And not only just for Neil Taylor, like no one goes, and Seamus Coleman himself, after the injury said, no one gets on a football pitch and tries to go hurt somebody. It doesn't happen. You know, people think that it doesn't happen. Now, that was Seamus Coleman himself after a double leg break sustained by a tackle by Neil Taylor. For Neil Taylor, that that's horrible. You don't ever want to do that to, to anybody. And they might not be mates. I'm not saying that they're friends. They might not even even met each other before, you know, the, the, the tackle happened that, that hurt Coleman. But there's still that whole pensive of like, I can't believe I hurt a player. I did not mean to do that. I can't believe that happened. You know, you get down about it and you get depressed about it. And you're right. Villa supporters were able to see that Taylor was not in the right frame of mind coming back off international duty after he hurt Coleman. So this is going to be very interesting to see if Dean Smith gives Taylor the game to see if he has him on the bench to see him if he just bring, you know, just absolutely excludes him whatsoever. But it's also the same side as Coleman. Is Coleman going to be a little bit pensive going up against Taylor? But there's also a third avenue of thought here that maybe this might be something that these players have talked about in private. They might have been okay with it. They, they might have been, you know, talked to each other and say, hey, man, I didn't mean to hurt you. Coleman say, I know you didn't. I'm really sorry. I hope your recovery goes well. Thanks, Tails. I really appreciate it. Bygones are bygones. It's a fast-paced game. Anything can happen on a football pitch. But this is there's so many things that go into this, and I know a lot of Villa fans forgot that this, this specific tackle even happened. But I, I don't I don't know this that this is one of those very, very fragile mental things in football. You don't want this affecting a person's performance. You don't want them, you know, being very pensive just because the other players on the pitch at the same time. Memories are a real thing. They're still human beings. These players are still human. They still feel emotion. So I I don't know. I don't I don't know if Taylor not that he's mentally tough enough he wouldn't be able to deal with it. I just don't know if either player is going to be okay with it. I think it's going to be strange for both of them, especially if they meet somehow on a one-on-one door or something like that. I don't know. I, I Do you think that it's something to where Taylor should be dropped for it? Or like, do you think Matt Target should come in? I'm not sure. Obviously that decision lies at the, the feet of both Taylor and Smith, but um, right. I think, 
you know, they've this will this will be the first time they've met since um, Ireland have played Wales um, three times since the it happened, um, and in those three matches, uh, Seamus Coleman has appeared once, and Neil Taylor has appeared a grand total of zero times. Uh, we don't know whether this is Roaring Giggs leaving him out because it's against Ireland and it's bringing back these bad, you know, these bad thoughts or whatever. You know, we don't know is the is the simple answer, but we'll obviously see come come Friday an hour before kickoff. Yeah, for sure. And I I, I just think that it's 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 not a rare case of something like this happening. It's just an uncommon case, and I I feel for both players. You know, I mean, I've I've had it happen to me personally. I, I used to play deck hockey all the time as a teenager, and you know, uh, the the puck went into a corner. I I went to go chase it. The kid turned around. I hit him. I hit him high. Stick went into his neck. He had to, you know, he got had a laceration on his neck. I felt terrible about it for weeks and weeks and weeks. Ended up the next year, I, I had to play against him. And I'll I'll be honest with you, I didn't play well because of it. I, I mean, and I'm not a paid professional athlete. You know, I'm just, just a regular guy. So, I mean, I can, I can understand that that's a, that's something that's just, it's, it's hard to deal with all around. Yeah, for sure. Let's move on though. Anyway, um, I've, I've got a question for you, Mark. You know, I love my questions. Where in the world is Marvelous Nakamba? Marvelous Nakamba is in training. Um, Dean Smith alluded to this past week that he's in training and he's going to be there for a little bit to get his fitness up. Um, Nakama did play in the African Cup of Nations his previous summer, but you know he he when he got back to Club Bruges, he was quote unquote protesting to get a move away um, after he found out that some clubs had some interest in him. Um, you know, I, I'm okay with that. A lot of people really want to see what marvelous Nakama can bring. Um, may, we might see him in the crew game. You know, if, if Dean Smith talked about getting getting his fitness up, and he wants him to have the stamina and have the fitness to be Premier League ready. Um, I don't know. Do you think Marvelous gets in the team, you know, sooner than Crew, or do you think that maybe this is something that's going to be a little bit going forward? Well, um, well, the Crew's what next Tuesday. Yep. Um, so no, I, I don't see him in the starting eleven or on the bench for Everton. Uh, I think we might see him maybe in a, a midfield three of uh, Lansbury, Hurahan, and uh, Nakamba, or maybe Douglas, Hurahan, and Nakamba. Um, but yeah, I don't think we'll see him until crew. Yeah, I, I think the same thing. And I'm okay. I mean, Villa has so much midfield depth right now that I'm, I'm okay with giving him as much as, as Dean Smith feels he needs to get his fitness and his stamina up and, and get up to speed with, with what's going on, the different system. I mean, Bruce plays pretty different than, than what Dean Smith and, and Villa play these days. So it just, if, if it's a tactical thing, it's a fitness thing. If it's getting his attitude, right. Having him settle into life in England, anything about it with, with this specific one with Nakamba and being in England and all that sort of thing. I'm okay with it. Take it, take as much time as you need. I, I'd rather get the, the player at the best of his ability than try to rush him onto the pitch. And it's like a half-assed attempt. I don't want to see that. Yeah, exactly. Um, Let's let's take a step away from the the Aston Villa men, and let's discuss the Aston Villa women. Um, they had a really good opener to their their new campaign. Um, they found themselves two goals down uh, within the twenty second minute, I believe it was. Um, the first goal was you know it was a well worked goal, um, just on the edge of the box. Uh, their number nine, Sheffield United's number nine, I can't remember her name, but. Um, you know, she curled it towards the, the, the top left corner and 
Shaw Rogers was just rooted, you know, she she couldn't she couldn't do anything, so she just she just uh, stood there, I guess. Um and then we conceded a penalty and lo and behold, Villa were two 0 down. Um but unlike the men's team, the Villa ladies were were, were not done at uh at two 0 and they went into the break at two one and they weren't done there. It took ten minutes in the half in the second half for uh, Melissa Johnson to grab her second of the game. Obviously, she netted the first, um, and it was an absolute worldie of a strike. Um, probably about 25, 30 yards out, and it just it was so well struck, looped over the keeper. Really, really good goal. Um, and then she ended up bagging her hat trick in the seventieth minute. You know, they turned around that two goal deficit and. It was it was really impressive the way that they kind of didn't let it get to them and managed to turn it around at Boldmere. Um, I was there at the game covering it and I was really impressed. You know, it, it was a, it was a pretty decent turnout as well. I think it was uh, 530, 540 people were there. It was it was a really good experience and I really do recommend. Um, if you do have the time to, to go down and watch the ladies, their next game's actually at Villa Park against Blackburn. The next home game, sorry. I, I was I was, literally I was living through you that day. I mean, we tried to keep in contact as much as we could with you covering the game and everything. Um, you know, it's awesome that, that you have media passes and you're able to go to Boldmere and you're able able to watch this because I I think this collection of players is is going to do something really really fun this season. Um, yeah, I mean, and you had you know a videographer with you that was a- able to capture that. I I love that. That's a great thing for under a gaslit lamp. Uh, if, speaking to the game itself, what a comeback! Um, the Aston Villa women, you know, they they showed exactly what they're about. Um, I can only imagine what that team talk was at halftime from uh, head coach Gemma Davies. You know, they, they go into the half at two one. Um, yeah, it's. It's just crazy. And that, you know, Melissa Johnson, just that world-class strike. I got to see a couple of the fan videos from that. And that, that looked absolutely craziness. I, I, you know, kind of one of those shots where you look at and you really appreciate like the work that these players put into it, like any player, not just in the women's game, the men's game too. That's just a world-class strike. There's, there's no two ways about it. Um, what did, what did you think of the other signings of the game? I mean, obviously, you know, Melissa Johnson is going to be the talking point because she scored a hat trick and, you know, came back from, you know, two nil down. But, but what did you think of some of the other signings? Did they look as impressive as they did in the preseason? Um, Natalie Haig was uh, a rock at the back next to, uh, Alicia and Dow. She looked quite, uh, quite strong. She, you know, she, it's that, that experienced veteran head, um, Ella Franklin Frazier looked looks decent. Um, I think you know there's there's still growing pains with a few of the the new signings, but um, someone I was really impressed by was Emma Follis. You know she's she's played for the club before, but she looked at, she looked a cut above a lot of the players on the pitch, especially against obviously Sheffield. Um, we've got a clip of her uh, nutmegging a uh, Sheffield United player and just like breezing off and playing a really good ball through to uh, Sophie Haywood. Um, but yeah, I think probably out of the, out of the two new two, I, okay, I'll pick three 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 new signings that impressed me were uh, Natalie Haig, Emma Follis, and Marissa Ewers. Um, other than that, you know, the, the jury's still out on on a few of them. But you know, it's the first game. Right, that had a really good preseason. That was that was mostly um, what I was following. Like I said, it's a little harder for me over here. It's not. Um, 
the Aston Villa women aren't to the heights of the men's game. So being international, it's a little hard for me to, you know, get clips of games or to see actually how, how things pan out. Like I really do, um, uh, just watch the Aston Villa women. I got the notifications turned on for Twitter. So when the games are on, I'm getting, you know, whatever they post. And obviously you now with the media pass and you're, you'll be going a lot this season. So that's going to help out a lot. Um, you know, because I, I follow the women's game over here. I mean, there's there's leagues over here, and you know, you talk about the USA women's uh, team and their popularity. You know, there's there's reasons for that. It's not just whenever there's a women's World Cup. Like they're they're really popular side, and and you know, those women as well have clubs that they belong to. So to keep tabs on them, you know, it's it's a little bit more difficult. Again, the women's game is growing. You know, worldwide, it's not not just in England or not just in the states. It's growing worldwide. But um, yeah, I'm just I'm really proud of the girls to be able to come out and do that. And I'm really proud, of, you know, Gemma Davies. Could you imagine what that half halftime talk was? You know, she I I don't think she had the hair dryer out for any reason. But I mean, she had to say something in that room to, to get those girls out and playing like that in the second half. Yeah, I mean, she said after the game that she was disappointed that the the Villa women weren't dominating the game. Um, so you can imagine what the the halftime talk was like. Um, let's let's start wrapping this up. We've got a couple of questions uh, through on Twitter. Um, I think we've probably only got time for two, so I'm going to let you pick them, Mark. All right, we'll go from uh, Andy Soden here. That's on Twitter. That's at AJ Soden, S-O-D-E-N. Uh, did you think the introduction of Target would benefit Al Ghazi on the left? Taylor is solid defensively but offers little going forward. Are we more likely to pick up wins on the front foot, or is Dean Smith right to pick the more defensive-minded fullback? Same for Gilbert on the right. So I guess we already talked about this with you know Gilbert and uh, Target going into the Everton game. Um, I don't think that target is going to take that off Neil Taylor just quite yet. I understand that a lot of people want to see uh, target and El Ghazi on the left because they're both attacking and, and forward minded um, players. But I just think that Matty target's going to have to wait it out a little bit and it's, it's no knock on him. He's, he, you know, I just feel it's a little tough on, on target because he's coming from a team, you know, where he was constantly second fiddle to Ryan Bertrand and that that's tough for him to now come here. And now he seems to be second fiddle to Neil Taylor. So that's going to be a little hard, but I think if he just keeps his head down, he will get his chance at some point in time. Um, what about you? What do you think? Um, I think the introduction of target would probably benefit El Ghazi. Um, I'm not too sure in regards to Trezeguet. You know, if we played, if we played a uh, hotter and then fair enough, Gilbert is the choice for me. But uh, with, with Trezeguet, I think it's going to have to be, um, going to have to be Elmo until we see that that Trezeguet is kind of finding his feet in the Premier League. I think so as well and I think that whole just the the um you know the compatriot thing going on with both being Egyptian, Trezeguet being in England, it's you know he's still getting comfortable with his surroundings to have a veteran a veteran not only for the Egyptian international team but also in the Premier League like El Mahamedi. I think that's the yeah, wonderful thing for him and that that might even be why you're seeing Elmo play at right back, not like exclusively 100% that's why but they might play into it of why so Trezeguet is comfortable on the pitch. They know how each other plays, they've known each other a long time, that kind of thing. It's important for players. Yeah, definitely. Um, and the second question? Uh, second question, let's see, we'll go to Anthony Harper. That's at Anthony M. Harper on Twitter. Has Douglas been thrown in too early? His worldy covered up the fact that a misunderstanding in the game put us further on the back foot against Bournemouth. Yes, he grew into the game, but at two, now, two down, we always had a mountain to climb. No doubt he is talented, but Connor Horahan is very unlucky to miss out. Harhane is familiar with Grealish McGinn, and that understanding could have helped Villa. 
I don't think there's any argument to that, that, that Horahan and Grealish and McGinn have a fabulous chemistry. But, you know, for the amount of money that Villa are paying Douglas Louise and what he actually brings in his talent, I think he has to get games. And it's it's not a knock on Horahan. Um, you know, he, he ran his, his socks off against Spurs. You know, he, he has a big, deep love for this club. Uh, it's pretty evident to me. Other people, not so much, but it's evident to me. Um, I, I think... Louise might have been thrown in a bit early, but he has to play. Like, that's it's just the thing. All these players we brought in, they have to play at some point in time. We've said it on previous podcasts. It's just a matter of waiting it out. We're only headed towards the third game of the season. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to agree. Obviously, we're going to see Douglas probably probably more than Harahan this year. Um, but so something that I found it quite interesting. Did you know, Mark, that um, that Conor Harahan was a commentary commentary? supplying commentary should i say um for the barnsley birmingham game i didn't the other night i didn't when was that yeah he was he was on barnsley's fan tv as their like co-commentator so like like tony daly is for us that's pretty cool i i i think that's really awesome that actually i i mean if he has nothing better to do obviously he's still revered at barnsley if he's going and doing commentary for him i mean that might be something that he does he, he does later on in his career i don't I, I don't know that's the first i'm hearing about it that's actually pretty cool i like that yeah, I thought it was quite interesting. Yeah, that's very um, interesting because you, you don't you don't hear that too much, especially with, I mean, I guess maybe some players that are still playing or you know free agents or whatnot. But I, for Harahan, that's that's awesome. I mean, he, the man, the man's intelligent. He, you know, he's I, even hearing him speak. You know, he he has a really nice. Uh, what am I trying to say? It's just the way he speaks about the game. You can tell it it means deeply to him. And I always love hearing punditry or commentary on people that you you can tell they're not just up there with a camera in front of their face going, Oh yeah, this is the statistics and this is who they're playing next week. And this is why they're in trouble. I don't like hearing all that. I like the passion. I like the, you know, the rah, rah kind of guys of the sport. So that, that, that's great for him. Good for him. I think you've hit the nail on the head there. Um, I think that's probably the best place to end this week's podcast. Um, we did have two more questions, and we'll try our best to throw them into next week's podcast, if they're still kind of relevant. Um, we're ending it probably a bit earlier than we would have, as I've got to really shoot off and get down to Reading for Reading Festival. Um, as always, if you've enjoyed the podcast, give us a rating, a subscribe, a like, all that jazz. Follow us on Twitter at Villa Lamp. Uh, on Facebook, for slash under a gaslit lamp. On Instagram, uh, at under a gaslit lamp. And yeah, we'll be seeing you soon. We'll be bringing a load of content next week in regards to the Everton game, the Crew game, and all of the good opinion that we usually provide. Thanks again for listening. Up the Villa.